You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Friends, I never cease to be amazed at how quickly priorities can change. You know, you've got a certain list of priorities, you're going in a certain direction, and all of a sudden, circumstances can totally change and throw those out the window. Give you an example. It was a, a very fine, lovely day, as I remember, back in Adelaide many years ago. I had a long list of things to get through that day. It was a busy, busy day I was facing. And uh, I went out to our, uh, in, as is my custom, I'd worked out my day the night before, had my priorities and lists of people to visit and meetings to attend, phone calls to make, all that kind of thing. And I went out to our family room to collect the breakfast things of my father. Uh, my mum and dad were staying with us from Melbourne, as they used to do occasionally. They were both in retirement at that time. And as I went out, I could, as I went into the family room, I could just sense there was just something wrong with my dad. My mum was somewhere else. Dad was still on his dressing gown. I said, gosh, Dad, are you okay? He's a shocking colour. And um, my dad said something I, I never thought I'd hear him say. He was a very strong man, very resilient man, very independent man. We, Because of past illnesses, he'd shown incredible levels of, uh, of it's like a pain threshold. And as he clutched his, his pyjama top, he said, Graham, I think you'd better get an ambulance. And, and my dad, in his mid-60s, was having a massive heart attack. And I won't give you all the details, of course, but, but here's the thing. Within a very short time, my mother and I found ourselves in a little waiting room outside the cardiac section of the Flinders Medical Centre there in Adelaide. And here's the irony. I'd been ministering in that city for about 17 years at that time in two churches. And I'd sat in that little room many times with families waiting on word from their, of their loved ones who suffered heart attacks. I'd been there many times. And I'd tried to show as much empathy and support as I could. And looking back, I thought I'd done a pretty good job. But I realised in that moment, I had not really understood what they were facing. Because you've really got to be in that situation to know exactly what goes through your, your mind and, and, and what you think about when you're, you're waiting on news of a loved one who suffered a massive heart attack. I do know one thing. I know one thing. Every other activity I'd planned for that day went out the window. I thought that was such an important day for me. It was going to further my ministry effectiveness and further the church. It all went. And I concentrated on one thing. uh, Supporting my mother, comforting my family and praying for my father. And that just like time just seemed to stand still. And many of you have been there. You just focus on the one thing. My dad did, did recover from that heart attack. He lived with us for another, uh, lived for another nine years. But that was a day I shall never forget. Like I said, it's amazing. It's scary how when you consider how quickly priorities can change so rapidly. You see, priority is a form of the word prior. And prior, of course, means before, ahead of, preceding. A priority then is something that comes before everything else. A priority is the really important things, or the really important thing, that which we place ahead of all other 
things. And at the very heart of this familiar incident from Luke chapter 10 involving Mary and Martha, at the very heart of this passage is the theme of priorities. Now, there's a certain quaintness, a certain homeliness about this particular incident, which I really love. I love the way that Luke introduces it. Verse 38, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Wow, what an honour. What a privilege to host the Son of God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Gosh, you'd want everything right, wouldn't you? You'd want the house right. You'd want everything neat and tidy up and get rid of some of those magazines. And you know, you'd want everything just looking really, really great. You'd want, to, you'd want the meal you're preparing to be the very best you could provide. We're talking Jesus here. At the same time, you want to spend some quality time with him. I mean, you want to listen to him. You want to learn from him. Here's the opportunity, very unique, one-on-one with the master himself. That would be a priority for sure. So, friends, you can see that in a very real sense, both Mary and Martha appear to be involved in important activities. It's not one or the other. They're both important activities, given that Jesus was coming. True, Martha has a more down-to-earth, practical approach to the occasion, while Mary is in a more contemplative mood, a more reflective mood. She's wanting to just simply sit at Jesus' feet. She's approaching it differently to her sister. But then comes the part that's kind of hard to deal with. And if you know this passage, this is the hard part. It would seem Jesus is more impressed with Mary's actions than those of Martha. Here's his gentle rebuke to Martha. It comes in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled over so many things, but just one thing is needed. Now remember, this is, in, this is our Lord's response to Martha's plea for him to get her sister back into the kitchen. Uh, this comes uh, in verse 40. Listen to this. Martha was upset over all the work she had to do. So she came and said, Lord, she has left me. My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to come and help me. That's an indication of, how level, of the level of her frustration. She's kind of uh, you know, putting a pretty strong request onto Jesus at that point. And look, I think we can all resonate with the with the justice of Martha's complaint against Mary. I think that strikes a chord within all of us. And I'm sure we'd, we'd be much happier if Jesus' response had been something like, you know what, Mary, Martha's got a point. Look at her out there. You know, dishes are piling up. Look, why don't you go out there and help her and we can, discuss, we can continue this discussion over dinner. I think that would be the... The ending, we'd all think, yeah, that's, that's good. That's a win-win. Everybody wins out there. But no, Jesus responds to Martha in a way that basically says, Martha, you have missed the point of what's happening here. You're just not getting it. And that's what's hard for Martha to hear. And I think you'll agree it's, it's pretty hard for us to hear as well because we, our hearts sort of go out to this Martha. We've all been there. We would be sort of getting ready for something and then somebody else is dreaming and, you know, not getting with it. I mean, you'd think Jesus may have instantly spotted the beautiful expression here. 
It's a beautiful expression of his understanding of what the greatest commandment is. And, and his understanding of the greatest commandment comes earlier in this very chapter. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 25. A teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus answered him, what do the scriptures say? How do you read them? The man, the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. You're right, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And in another part of the gospel, this is Jesus' understanding of the greatest commandment. So, I mean, you think Jesus may have instantly spotted this. Um, I mean, come on, Jesus. Here, here in the actions of Martha and Mary, we have a classic example of what you're talking about. I mean, Mary is a great example of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, strength and mind. Martha is a great example of love your neighbour as you love yourself. They complement each other beautifully. I mean, isn't this the perfect balance that we're all looking for in the Christian life? An orientation toward the practical, toward others-centred ministry, born out of a deep and close relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't this the one thing you're talking about, Lord? It's, it's all here, Mary, Martha. They're each bringing their own little contribution. Well, let's have a closer look at this notion of the one thing that Jesus talks about, the one thing that's needed. In the, in the very funny movie, um, City Slickers, and some of you are thinking, oh, I saw that 10 or 12 years ago. Well, no, that was released in 1991. If you saw that, you saw that 22 years ago. How's that for the passage of time? Well, if you know the movie, it's about three uh, city guys, executive types, who go out to the, to the uh, prairie uh, in, in America, in some part of America, to match up with some, or to hook up with some cowboys to do a cattle drive. And the lead, the head of the cowboys is a craggy, rough sort of guy called Curly. And he's played by that famous actor, Jack Palance. Now, this little excursion by these three guys, by the way, it's to sort of, it's to head off the onset of a midlife crisis. And that's not unusual in, in men. Uh, we've all been through one of those. Um, and so they're trying to, they're sort of like trying to find themselves and wondering what it's all about. And at one point, one of these guys being played by Billy Crystal says to this very rough and tough curly, played by Jack Palance, he says, your life, your life seems to make sense to you. In other words, you, know, you seem so together out here on the prairie. And Curly says, you city folk, you worry a lot. You spend 50 weeks getting knots in your rope and you think two weeks out here will untie those knots for you. None of you get it. And it was at this point you realise that whilst Curly is a really rough sort of guy, he also has an understanding of humanity and he's got some innate wisdom here that he's about to share with, uh, with Billy Crystal. And uh, he then asked Crystal, you know what the secret of life is? No, what? Says Billy Crystal. Curly replies, one thing, just one thing. You stick to that and everything else means nothing. That's great. 
That's great, says Billy Crystal, now showing signs of desperation. What is the one thing? And after a long pause, this tough old cowboy in his craggy voice says, that's what you've got to figure out. So he's none the wiser, you know. Well, you know, in the Bible, a number of people talk about the one thing, the one thing they've discovered. The first one is David. And David, way back in Psalm 27, verse 4, listen to this. I've asked the Lord for what? One thing. I've asked the Lord for one thing. One thing only do I want. He says it again. To live in the Lord's house all my life, to marvel there at his goodness. And then over in the New Testament, Paul, Philippians, you're probably one step ahead of me. You're already thinking of this verse, some of you. He says, of course, I don't think I've already won it. The one thing I do however, is to forget what is behind me and do my best to reach what is ahead. And then in the previous verse, just up in the same chapter, in verse 10, he says, all, and this is his passion in life, all I want to know, like my main driving ambition, all I want to know, the one thing I want to know is Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death in the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. Now, these guys, all of these guys, are talking about priorities. They're all talking about priorities as they seek to make an impact with their life for God. And just as an aside, remember Jesus said to the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. You know, so there it is again. This is one, this elusive one thing. Well, back to our story and Jesus' words to Martha. Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And then he adds, Mary has chosen, that's very important. Mary has chosen that one thing and it will not be taken from her. Now, look, I know how you, th- at this point, some of you are thinking, those of us among, th- th- those among us who are oriented more to the practical, more inclined to serve in tangible ways, and that's your expression of the faith, you're becoming a little uneasy thinking that this one elusive thing is, in fact, the more spiritual, the more contemplative approach to the faith. And you're asking, well, what happened to the balance that you talked about a moment ago? You know, what if my giftings aren't in intense reading and study of the word? What if I don't pray publicly? This is not my thing. What if I'd rather live out my faith and show people my faith rather than talk about my faith because I find that so hard? Where does that leave me? I'm more of a practical kind of Christian, you know. Well, in response to these sort of questions, I've got good news. There is a need for both. There is a need for balance that I mentioned earlier. There is over, there's overwhelming evidence in the scripture that following Jesus is a combination of practical ministry on the one hand and like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, learning, praying, worshipping. It's a, it's a combination. A balanced Christian life has both components. And these are the components, of course, of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So I want to say, love your neighbour as you love yourself. So why does Jesus talk about the one thing? It was a combination of a couple of things. Well, I'm essentially a simple man. I think most of you know that. And my approach to the Christian faith is fairly simple. Not simplistic, but it's fairly down to earth. I'd like to think so anyway. And look, I believe the one thing Jesus is talking about is clearly it's our relationship with him. That's 
That's not rocket science. That, that's the number one thing is our relationship with him. But wait a minute. Somebody says, hang on, hang on. You're being a bit judgmental, aren't you, Graham? Because you're saying that Mary had a closer relationship with Jesus than Martha did. That Mary was more pious, more devout, because she's the one who gets all the... She, good girl, Mary. Martha, sorry. Is that it? No, I don't believe so. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest there was any difference in the level of their allegiance and their devotion to Jesus. There's no evidence whatsoever to suggest that. But there was something that distinguished them from each other in this incident, in this particular incident. You see, the one thing is our relationship with Jesus, but there's something else. And our ability in his strength to discern priorities. I I think that's it. This is what went wrong here. Our relationship with Jesus combined with and our ability to discern priorities. That's what made the difference on this occasion. Mary chose, the Bible says, or Jesus says, Mary, she made a choice. She made a choice. What was that choice in? It was in the area of priorities. You see, both Mary and Martha were engaged in important activity. We've established that. They were both expressing an aspect of the Christian life. We've established that. But only one was showing spiritual discernment, getting their priorities right, and that was Mary. Is there any evidence to suggest that Mary never picked up a tea towel? That she never cooked a meal? That she never held a broom? I mean, in other words, is this her ongoing pattern? See, we've tended to think, oh, Mary, yeah, a bit of a slacker, a bit of a shirker, yeah. There's no evidence at all to suggest that she was anything like that. None whatsoever. But on this day, on this particular day, when Jesus came to her home in person, she was spiritually aware to the point where she realised that listening to him, learning from him, was to take priority over everything else that was happening. Amazing how priorities can be very, very dramatically shifted when needed. And these are the decisions. These are the, deci- are the decisions we're required to make all the time when you think about it. I mean, we make these decisions in relation to worship. There are times when our decision to forego a social event in preference for worship should, should be the priority. Not, not every time because we're involved in lots of things. But in a, in, a, in a city like Sydney where there are so many things happening, sometimes it comes down to, you know what, I'm going to be in church that day. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, rather than watch more television, in these moments... I really should devote this time to prayer. We've, we've got to pray about certain things. Pastor told us that. I'm going to devote this time. And it's a decision. It's, it's a question of relating to priorities. It relates also to Bible reading. Are we going to continue reading our favourite book or magazines? Or am I going to reserve a, this time to read the Scriptures? These are choices. These are decisions. These arise out of priorities. What about when giving? Just going to go holus bolus into a new Expenditure at the personal level, or wait, wait a minute, maybe that could be used. Yeah, that, we could maybe channel that to that particular need because that's got a greater priority at the moment. These are the sort of tough decisions at times. Showing kindness and, and empathy. Wow, somebody else will be doing that. They, they announced it at church. Surely somebody else will be visiting that. Maybe, no, maybe that's me. Maybe I've got to forego a bit of time and I've got to do that. 
email. I've got to make that phone call. I've got to make that visit, you know. And these are the kind of things we're doing all the time. What about, you know, it's a rough night, it's cold, it's wet, connection group? Mm, I don't think so. Nah, not tonight. You know, besides, the voice is on. Get me out of here. <laughs> Let's go to connect. No, no disrespect. Um, you know, no, no, I, I'll get there. I'm, I'm going to just dig a little deeper. I'm going to be there. These are some of the critical times when the spiritually aware person, the mature person in Christ, attempts in his strength to get their priorities right. These are the moments when critical decisions are made. And we either choose the one thing or in that moment we miss that one thing. And that makes a difference to how we impact others. That makes a difference to the extent to which we make our lives count. Guys, I, I wrestle with this stuff all the time. You know, life's all about priorities. And I get it wrong a lot of the time. And in, in, in our lives in Sydney, we're, we're, this is the kind of stuff we're facing all the time. So my prayer is that we'll have the strength and the courage and the faith to make some of those tough decisions, knowing deep down that's the priority we should be observing. Read this passage again. Look at it from that perspective. It's all about priorities. That's what these two girls both love the Lord. Don't get the idea that, you know, Mary's sort of some, you know, drifting backslider. Absolutely not. You, you check out what she says in relation to Lazarus. You know, she, she knew her word and she loved the Lord. And don't get the impression that Mary was this sort of uh, ongoing, lazy, dreamy kind of person who, nothing to suggest that. It was on this day she adjusted her priorities. That's it. 